Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we're giving you the tools to make a difference right now. Today, we talk about the leaked SCOTUS decision on Roe versus Wade, what it means for other settled laws, I thought they were settled, and why, yet again, we are facing the most important election of our lives. That's right. And joining us to help us understand all of those things is someone who's been fighting for women's rights alongside her mother, our Speaker of the House, her entire career, Democratic strategist and DNC member, Christine Pelosi. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We Win. Win. So we are recording this like 12 hours after this leaked AL. Uh, Supreme Supreme Court decision. 12 hours after leak, AL. After, okay, <laughs> glad you explained it. Um, I wanted to sleep on it thinking, oh, I'll wake up a little more hopeful and you know, with some more logical thoughts than I (laughs) I had. And I did not. Like, I am so angry Mm -hmm. and so heartbroken for so many people. If this is true, and it looks like it is, um, this is going to have a devastating effect on um, people who can get pregnant and my God, what is, what's coming next? Right. Um, we, you and I on this podcast, every time one of these States passes one of these, you know, insane draconian anti-choice laws, Mississippi and then Texas and most recently Oklahoma, we have said it's happening in these States, but it's coming for all of us. Yeah. And it's here. It's it's almost here. Um, and, you know, there are, you, if you look at the map and what the experts say, you know, half the states will continue to, for, you know, people to have access to abortions if Roe versus Wade is overturned and half won't. And no matter where you live, if you live on the West Coast or in the Northeast, these kind of safer areas where state lawmakers are already mobilizing to protect your rights, uh, it'll impact you too. Those clinics there are going to become flooded with women and uh, people who can have, who can get pregnant, uh, who can afford to leave their states. And then young people, low-income people who can't leave their states, right. what are they going to do? They are either forced to carry a baby that they possibly don't want, or they'll find other ways to to access the care that they need. This is incredibly dangerous. It's, um, I, you know, I, like you, was hoping that I would have, um, you know, a, a better ability to wrap my head around this. Um, 
in the, like you said, 12 hours since this news broke. And um, it's one of those things. I'm very grateful that we have Christine Pelosi um, Mm -hmm. to talk to us about it. Um, Christine is amazing and uh, was chair of the California Democratic Party's Women's Caucus for the last, uh, well, for over a decade. She's not now. She's a DNC member now. And um, has just been on the front lines of the fight for women's health and women's reproductive freedom for forever. And I think for all of us who have been paying attention to this and saw this coming, like you said, um, it still didn't prepare for this draconian, like worst case scenario decision that uh, wasn't even outlawing abortion except in instances of rape or incest or the health of the woman. It's just a full blanket ban on abortions, federal ban on abortions. And um, like you said, it's draconian. We've talked so – one thing that really struck me is how much we talk about the culture wars that – you know, these issues that Republicans gen up because uh, it's – galvanizing to their small but very loud base. And this has always been uh, a huge issue for elections that Republicans love to run on. We're going to repeal Roe versus Wade. We're going to appoint Supreme Court justices that are conservative and are going to do that. And um, it motivates a lot of a lot of voters. Um, But this is more than just talking points. Now, this, you know, looks like this is actually happening. And um, like you said, it's th- they're going to literally have blood on their hands because, um, you know, for the people who don't have the ability to leave their state and find uh, a place to have a safe abortion, they're going to be putting themselves at risk uh, like we saw in the early 70s before this was, quote unquote, settled law. And, um, and also the, just the... The jaw-dropping precedent of repealing a constitutional right, taking rights away from us. This has never happened before in our history. Once again, we we are just in unprecedented times in the in the worst sense of that phrase. And the only thing that I've been hearing people say, rightfully so, is that um, we have to win in the midterms. We have to elect representatives that will uh, codify these laws, put you know women's health first, and that means getting rid of of people who would be in the way of a filibuster in the Senate, too. Um, and uh, you know we, I don't even want to be tongue in cheek about it. I want to say Senate Mansion proof the the Senate, but you know, um, you know this is. Uh, <laughs> We just keep talking about how important the midterms are and how they're the most important elections of our lives. And I and I keep trying to say this is not hyperbole. I'm not just trying to get people, you know, up in arms about it. It really is. I mean, and now we see literally our rights being taken away from us and um and at the cost of of people's very lives. Um, there is something that you you mentioned triggered one thing that I do reminded me. I didn't of, mean to of, trigger you. I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> but one thing um, made me recall one of the things that's in this leaked opinion, which um, is that the idea that abortion itself is not a constitutional guaranteed right because the Constitution does not mention right. abortion. Um, and so, what a horrible slippery slope that is. I mean, 
there are many things that the constitution doesn't mention mm -hmm. that we accept as laws or our rights that should be protected. And, you know, what doors does that open? My goodness, as terrifying as this one precedent they're threatening to overturn is the door that that, that idea opens um, is frightening. Um, and, you yeah. know, Yes, we have to vote in the midterms. We have to vote for um, federal legislators who are going to make this stuff law. But if this goes into effect before then, which it, it looks like if, it, it will. You know, if it's yeah. accurate, it will, then what they're saying is that it's really like a, a lot of times it's our state lawmakers who need to be making these decisions which means that, you know, it, it means like the Ron DeSantis's of the world are mm. supposed to be um, making decisions about what happens to our bodies. And I'm, I'm not comfortable at all with that. No, um, no, I'm just, I'm in shock. Yeah, this is, it's, and it's just, I mean, we, like you said, we've been talking about this for a long time, but it's still just really uh, a wild thing to see. This is like, part of this long and sinister game that conservatives and evangelicals have played just right. And we did not do enough to stop it. And, and it's now or never. Well, that's a really good point. That's something that I wanted to uh, address too, because um, this has been a core galvanizing issue for the um, evangelical Christian nationalist right for decades. It is a minority of the country, a, by the way, a minority of the country. So 70% of our country wants uh, abortion rights to stand that do, do, does not want Roe versus Wade to be repealed. Uh, similarly, 90% uh, of the country is in favor of strong, you know, gun regulations, common sense gun regulations. Um, mm -hmm. There are these issues that the country really largely agrees on that is uh, held hostage by this small minority. And it is right. so frustrating. It's hard not to look at our government and say that there's, you know, fundamental brokenness with our government when you can't, you know, codify laws that 90%, 70% of our country wants. But, you know, when we look ahead at the midterms and a lot of people saying how this is going to galvanize our voters, um, this has been an issue that has galvanized Republican voters for a long time. And, uh, you know, honestly, to keep it real, Democrats have not been able to galvanize on a message of we need to, you know, make sure that we have fair judges on the Supreme Court and not judges that have been like Sheldon Whitehouse talks about, have been bought and paid for by the Koch brothers and brought up mm. through the Heritage Foundation and have this conservative agenda. And the as you mentioned, the local state houses and, um, and the representatives there, the Republicans have done such a, uh, a long-term good job of controlling those local state houses, largely on this issue. So I, I'm hopeful that this is a wake-up call to a lot of people who, who are having their rights literally stripped from them, that they'll mobilize and, and really fundamentally 
understand the importance of this issue in the midterms. But it's a very important, uh, you know, win for a very loud minority that has been driving this issue for a long time, too. So I'm not sure what that's going to mean, but I'm going to ask Christine that. Uh, What's your thoughts? I mean, the thoughts are like, this is this is how this is how our government works. This is the part that you don't see. This is how our, our, our policies work, you know, the, and I, I don't think it went quite how they had planned it, but you know, Donald Trump sort of fell into their laps and, and then got to install three uh, Supreme court justices and um, yeah, three of them. Yeah. And that is the reason why we're here. Who do you think leaked this this document because this is this is unprecedented and yes it's what the republicans are focused on but i i i don't think it's important in the way that they're approaching it but i do think it's important in how we receive this information and what we do with it so if you had to take a guess who would you who do you think leaked it Initially, I, I would think there's some speculation that that it might be a Republican uh, that wanted to release this to um, help galvanize the Republican base around this and soften the blow when it actually comes out, so it doesn't have an impact as strong an impact on the midterms. I don't. I I, I would probably lean on this being someone who, as an act of desperation, wanted to try to drum up enough public opinion and and sway the Supreme Court into you know, not making this decision, maybe sway some of the um, people. I don't think it'll work. You know, the Supreme Court uh, will do what they're going to do. They are, um, hmm. they are uh, uh, belligerently um, against being swayed by public opinion and, um, hmm. and will, will follow what they feel like is the letter of the law, even if they're being manipulated in that or have a have a different take on that. So I uh, so I don't think it'll work, but it feels kind of like someone's like, I've, I don't care. I've got to uh, I've got to release this. I've got to get this out there and put some pressure on them because I don't know what else to do, because this is again, it's not just a culture war issue. This is now a straight up war. I mean, this is this is something that is uh, affecting the lives of so many people in such a negative way. Um, the repercussions of it are uh, hard to even fathom right now, but it really changes the entire political landscape and and the landscape of our democracy. I was kind of imagining that, like Justice Sotomayor was so infuriated by it, and she's like arguing mm. with her clerks about it, and she's like in a richly appointed office, like smoking a cigarette and having a glass of whiskey. She's like, <laughs> Does she smoke? She's so angry. She's just like, <laughs> leak it. Leak and it. they leak it, leak it. And they leak it to Politico, which I thought was interesting. Um, but they, again, having slept on it, I'm like, maybe it was a, a you know, a conservative clerk who, you know, was wor- worried that, you know, they might soften the opinion decided to leak this, you know, very strongly worded one and and so that people would know what's going on. Our job now is to use this to our advantage and yes. get like mobilize so many voters in November for the midterms. The critical thing is we are so far from that. We're not, but it's going to feel like that to voters um, that we, we, we need to keep the drumbeat going for months. And that's what we kind of struggle with sometimes. So 
if you are listening to this and you're thinking about getting involved, you're thinking about knocking doors, you're thinking about making phone calls, let this motivate you to do that for an extended period of time, mm -hmm. because uh, this is now a marathon that we're in and we cannot let up. Well said. Let's leave the discussion there. There'll be a lot more to talk about and, um, and glad that we have Christine to help us break it down too. Let's talk about this week's Hero of the Week. Okay, I guess we're not exactly moving on. <laughs> not quite moving on, but I think this is also something, and obviously the conversation rightly centers around uh, people who need abortion as health care. Um, but we also have to remember my current Heroes of the Week, abortion providers and clinic support staff. They have some tough days ahead. They have some tough decisions ahead. Um, and if Roe versus Wade is overturned, they might once again find themselves in the crosshairs of violent anti-choice terrorists. Um, Jill Filipovich, mm -hmm. the, the writer, did a, a good synopsis of the violence that has been faced by providers um, over the last 50 years um, from people who call themselves pro-lifers. 11 murders, 26 attempted murders, four kidnappings, 42 bombings, 100 acid attacks, 189 mm. arsons, uh, and 25,000 plus acts of phone harassment and hate mail. Um, that is a lot. It's a lot of violence um, faced by healthcare providers just trying to do their jobs and um, helping people access their right to access abortion. Um, so those are our heroes of the week. Well recognized, and it's gonna they're going to continue to be heroes, uh, and their job is going to get much harder um, in many of these states. So um, thank you for recognizing them. Uh, let's talk about this week's to-do list. Let's talk about doubling our subscribers. These are important conversations that we're having, and we absolutely need more people to be part of not just the conversation, but part of the action that's spurred by the conversation. So definitely tell your family, tell your friends, tell your neighbors about the How We Win podcast and get them on board. That's right. This is the easiest thing that you can do right now. And periodically, if you're a longtime listener, you know that we do our little uh, subscriber pushes um, and we're doing it in May. Uh, I like doing it in May because it's my birthday month. So I just feel like, um, you know, let's celebrate my birthday by getting more people into action uh, and, and involved in our democracy. So, you know, what you can do is share it with a couple of people who aren't listening to the podcast. You can text them the link. That's a really great way for them to easily be able to subscribe. And um, let's see if we can double up on our subscribers and, and create even more people doing this important, important work. But of course, the last thing and, and very important thing that we can do right now in light of uh, this SCOTUS impending SCOTUS decision is call your reps and and 
urge them to support women's health and and women's abortion rights. We should be doing this. Your reps should already be on board with this, but they need to hear from us now. If this was, in fact, uh, someone uh, trying a last-ditch effort to uh, prevent this this decision from happening, let's do everything we can to put pressure on our reps. Let's do everything we can to put pressure on SCOTUS. I know it feels hopeless, but we still operate with hope. We still operate with will, and we still operate with optimism because that's who we are. We are the persistence no matter what. So call your reps and tell them that we will not back down. We support women's rights. We'll be right back after our interview with Christine Pelosi with our reasons for hope. Christine Pelosi is a DNC member and their vice chair for campaigns and elections. She spent over a decade as chair of the California Democratic Party's Women's Caucus and beyond being our Speaker of the House's daughter, she works hand in hand with her to help support and mobilize volunteers all over the country. We are so grateful for her insight at this time. Christine, welcome back to How We Win and thank you for being here with us on such an important day. Well, I'm happy to be with you. It's always good to be among friends and organizers, uh, particularly at a time like this. It's really been quite a shock to read Alito's opinion leak. It was one thing to see it coming. We saw the oral arguments. We saw uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, what she said in December, the stench of the court. Mm. Were this to be a political transaction rather than based on precedent mm-hmm. um, might not be something the Supreme Court could overcome. We made memes about it. We talked about it. We saw it in Katanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation mm-hmm. hearing as United States Supreme Court Associate Justice, where she was asked by Black, well, Blackman sort of in a word salad, but more cogently by uh, John Cornyn and others, Uh, setting up the idea that if you were to overturn federal protections and a federal constitutional right uh, and and fundamental right to privacy uh, and and substantive due process vis-a-vis abortion rights, that wouldn't and couldn't that also happen in the states as far as uh, same-sex marriage, uh, LGBTQ rights, and uh, contraception. And then Senator Daines from Indiana, I mean, excuse me, uh, Braun from Indiana um, sort of commented around the same time, well, that would also include interracial marriage. And then he rather awkwardly Mm -hmm. tried to step away from that, but it is what he suggested. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it isn't just, but it's a lot that it's abortion rights at stake in this particular instance. It's also the uh, description of what they consider to be precedent. And if Mm. precedent has gone from being a legal theory that's been applied for the past over 50 years to uh, traditions that existed when the Constitution itself was written... (laughs) Then, then to paraphrase uh, Thurgood Marshall in one of his last great dissents, power, not reason, is the currency of the court. And that is a tremendous mistake. And it does a grave injustice to all of us. Well, well, I mean, you covered a lot of what we were just about to ask you, too, especially, um, 
you know, you're also an attorney and, um, and, and what this argument does mean for other quote unquote settled decisions, which we really did feel like were settled. Um, and you also talked about what, you know, first of all, I'll, I'll say, I'll encourage our listeners to really be part of this community of activists and volunteers, because especially at times like this, like you pointed out, um, having this family of activists who are in this fight together is really, really helpful. Uh, it's helpful for our mental health. It's helpful for our our, um, our hope and our optimism going forward because we know that we've fought hard battles and that we continue to fight. And um, it feels Sisyphean. It feels uh, like this feels really dark. But um, anyway, I digress on that. But I appreciate you bringing that up because I'm I'm privileged to be in this community of activists and uh, and I want that for everyone else. Um, there, as much as we saw this coming, as much as we knew this was coming. Um, it's still been so incredibly painful to read that draconian, hateful uh, language and decision that was, you know, so blunt. Um, as a lawyer, uh, what does a post Roe versus Wade America look like for you, and um, and these other potential, uh, what we thought were settled decisions? I mean, wh- how are you feeling about that right now? Well, I think the two things. First of all, it's not post Roe yet because yeah. we still don't have the decision. And, um, you know, we recall that uh, there was a leak with the Casey case. I started they, with hope and optimism, and then I went right to it's all over, right? <laughs> well, you know, see, this is where we're going to come back, right? Right. The narrative arc of a story, right? As <laughs> would tell us, you know, we go up, and then we go way down, and then we come back up. So um, we're, you, 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 I brought us up, you took us down, now we're, now we're back up. But here's the thing. Uh, And it's important for us to, you know, we have to have a little, we have to have a little understanding that this is a bit of a, of a roller coaster ride, but, Mm. but essentially what happened when the Casey case was being decided, this was um, a case out of Pennsylvania, um, the senior uh, Casey, uh, father of the current Senator from Pennsylvania. um, There was a, there was a fight over the issue of whether, uh, well, several fights, but fundamentally it came down to, is there a constitutional right to an abortion or not? And if there is, under what circumstances could that happen? When does the state weigh in? When does the individual weigh in? Um, And it was long thought that Roe versus Wade was on a collision course with itself because as technology and science developed, the notice of what you notion of what you know at three months, at six months, and at, you know, and and what they call late term, which was very end of your pregnancy, is very different now than it was 50 years ago. So there have been some who feared that the compromise to create Roe versus Wade's ruling in the first place was always going to set us down a path. Now, people on the right knew that, which is why they kept trying to use science to their favor. You hear these so-called heartbeat bills. It's not a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. It is a sound that's picked up on a monitor that they refer to as a heartbeat, but that's not actually a heartbeat. Um, My husband has a heart condition. I've listened to his heartbeat. I I know what a heartbeat sounds like, and I know what my sonogram sounded like when we had our baby. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And important for us to know that because a lot of these, the terminology is important. But in any event, they try to do that. What 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 other people, though, who are trying to expand access to reproductive care in general have also tried to do is to make sure that we have the development, for example, 
of um, non-surgical abortions, right? The abortion pill, which we could have had a long time ago, the big fights that you remember growing up with over RU486, right? Over the um, morning after pill. The first thing, in fact, we learned about Sarah Palin uh, when she was selected to be uh, the game changer vice presidential nominee of John McCain was that this maverick on the one hand had done prenatal testing herself, which is why she knew she was having a Down syndrome child and and had her child and was heralded as a as a hero in the movement because she had had the um, the testing and made the decision um, to mm-hmm. to have and love and embrace her child, which is a wonderful thing. But mm-hmm. under in a post row world, you couldn't do that, right? You couldn't do that. Uh, so that's one. The second is that what we found out about Sarah Palin is that it, when she was mayor of Wasilla, she made rape victims pay for Plan B out of their own pockets. Mm. So it, the first thing we learned about her was her own exceptionalism, the government-funded health care that she got as the mayor, um, her willingness to avail herself of all of that prenatal care and choice, mm. and at the same time deny it for other people. And when we look at where we've been since and through the Obama years and then the Trump years and now uh, the Biden years, what you really have is an acceleration of science, uh, which was bound to change the law in some way. It just didn't need to overturn Roe versus Wade. You can still have the constitutional right to an abortion, even if even if some of the, the timelines change. And my concern is that as we talk about this, we remember the, the terminology. Again, we're talking about being pro-choice. You can be anti-abortion. You could be a person who says, I, I would never have an abortion. What right. you want to do is make sure that you are the person making the choice and not right. the government. Right. Right. And and that, that you know, that I, I, members of the California Democratic Party Women's Caucus, it says in the bylaws, we are pro-choice and we elect pro-choice candidates in the Democratic Party. And I always have some members write to me and say, just remember, you've got, you know, you've got uh, anti-abortion, but not anti-choice uh, members here. And I want to make sure that you, you know, always remind people that we support all of the choices, including having a child and supporting the child, which we always did. So I think it's important because what you're already seeing on TV is they'll say, oh, here's the anti-abortion activists are fighting with the pro-abortion activists. No, that's not so. No one is pro-abortion. Right. It's not just a matter of being anti-abortion. It's a matter of being anti-choice. So who's making that decision is very, very important. Second, when it comes to, uh, you know, them trying to, and I think this is where Democrats have sometimes been, you know, caught up and and tied up in knots um, with respect to some of our own messaging is when we start to talk, uh, you know, when we start to to use certain medical terms that we don't necessarily understand because they're not for our own lived experience, Mm. we lose the argument to people who are making a very visceral, in some cases, uh, faith-based argument, like, I don't care, I just... I just don't want to be anywhere near the issue. I think we've gotten over some of that awkwardness. And I also think that now that 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 rope could be overturned, we've realized that, you know, you can't get squeamish about it. You have to be direct and focused and say, look, I respect your personal views. I respect your personal faith. Um, I just want to make sure that you, guided by that faith, are making your choice and not the government. And that I think mm. is where we have the high ground, and that is where I think we'll be working together in community with the um, with the other coalitions that have been built around marriage equality, that have been built around um, at increased access to birth control and family planning. It's very helpful to hear you talk about the message to um, 
the people on the, you know, for lack of a better word, on the other side. But I would also say we need some messaging for people in our own house, on our own side, who, you know, we were talking before the interview started about what it was like um, when, uh, you know, the decision around um, Planned Parenthood of Pennsylvania versus Casey, which I think was 92. So that predated social media. And, you know, you were kind of describing like, mobilizing all of these people the you know the i guess probably the phone tree way um and a word of mouth way and now we have real-time reactions from everybody including people who are very understandably upset but are saying you guys told us that if we voted and we got the government trifecta, this wouldn't happen and now it's happened. So stop telling us to vote, stop telling us to, to you know, there's a whole other uh, group that we need to target with the messaging who are on the same side as us, but just feeling so despondent about this, you know, this moment that, that's rocking a lot of people's worlds. So how do we talk to those folks as well? Well, I think, first of all, I think we have to let people feel whatever it is that they feel, right? We're all reacting to a very, very profound and powerful uh, betrayal of the Constitution. And so we should be betrayed and we should be deeply, deeply um, impacted by what's happening because it is going to affect our rights. You know, I went to bed last night. You know, I was lying in bed with my daughter, kind of making sure she was falling asleep and she's 13. And I was thinking, Mm. wow, this is really profound that she in, you know, in a matter of a month could have fewer rights than I do. You know, that is it's not supposed to work that way. Mm. We've always when we talked about, you know, um, enhancing constitutional rights or amending the Constitution. Right. Whether we were ending the three fifth compromise that said, you know, black people weren't even human, whether right. we weren't even including native, you know, native what, um, you know, Native Americans other than um, other than well, tribal sovereignty. Yes, but not enfranchised in, in, in terms of rights and responsibilities within uh the territorial U.S., whether we talk about how we, you know, how we treat voting rights, whether we talk about, um, you know, birthright citizenship, any number of things, it's always been expanding rights until Mm. now. And that's this big backlash that has occurred where all of us who believe what we believe and who are oriented to a more progressive, inclusive future feel betrayed. So they're the ones that did the betraying. Let's make that clear, Mm -hmm. number one. And yeah. most, most, and most of that is there. Second of all, of course, we're going to be mad at each other, right? The people that said don't vote in 2010, the people said don't vote, you know, you know, of course don't matter in 2016. Well, they were wrong. It mattered. And I don't care about the activists. I care about the people that had big time television platforms who could have moved people. I mean, at mm. least that's why they're getting paid is because the presumption is that they move people, right? right. There are other people who said, we're going to do this. We're going to bring up this vote. Well, in the House, it was passed. You have a pro-choice Democratic majority. And people can complain that, oh, well, there's one person who's not pro-choice. Well, you have a pro-choice majority, and they codified Roe versus Wade. And that's the way it is. And by the way, that pro-choice majority has also funded time and time and time again, has funded the Affordable Care Act, has funded health care, has funded contraception, and um, has beaten back and voted against all of the poison pills offered up by the other side, and will continue to do that. So we have a pro-choice majority in the House. The House did its job. There are a lot of people on Twitter who didn't know that last night. 
Maybe because mm. they don't remember September, maybe because they're just mad at everybody. But mm. seriously, there are people who should have known better who were like, Congress better pass something. It's like, well, no, the House did in September. Right. What you mean is the Senate should. And frankly, perhaps because the timing of the Senate vote in February came right after the loss of voting rights at the end of January, perhaps it was all just one big awful blur that people sort of forgot. Yeah. And then we had the bright moment because uh, KBJ was nominated and, you know, we got to be excited about that and went through and saw her get confirmed. But the fact of the matter is, it's okay to be mad. You should be mad. And we can even be mad or disappointed in each other. So I think the first thing you have to do is acknowledge how people are feeling, right? And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with that at all. I want people to respect the way I feel and I want to respect the way somebody else feels. So I think that's just part of being in a family and part of being in community. It's okay to be disappointed with each other. But we also have to stipulate to a certain set of facts, which is let's educate each other better about what some of these threats are that we see. What are these patchwork of states that we're coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, Roe versus Wade was decided and, 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 and the states and territories were doing very different things in a patchwork. And in some cases, some of those states over the past 50 years have gotten um, to a point where they have, or 47 years, you know, where they have tried to uh, expand um, privacy rights. And in some cases, they've tried to restrict them. So we have to look and say, what lies ahead? What's happening? Even a state like Michigan that you don't think of as being a very conservative state, it is one of those trigger states where if yeah. versus Wade is overturned, it will be unlawful there. And, mm-hmm. you know, Governor um, Whitmer tried to get the uh, anti-abortion law off the books, but she failed because she didn't have a legislature to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to go case by case, state by state. What is the state of the nation? What are my the states of my rights in the nation? Let's educate each other and help each other. Let's get a list of all of the local providers who've been doing this work because they've effectively yeah. not had a Roe versus Wade in Mississippi or Texas or Arkansas. Um, or many, many parts of the rural South anyway. So those groups are already stepping up. You know, who knows who they are? Stacey Abrams, because she's been organizing them for a long, long time in Georgia. Mm -hmm. But Sister Song, these other groups, you know, they're there, they're doing the work. And so we should be making sure that we are promoting the mostly Black, Brown, and Native-led organizations who are doing that work. So I think one thing that we can do, if you don't feel like voting yet, you don't feel like volunteering yet, one thing you could do is look at, well, what? who are the local abortion providers? Let me get a lay of the land and figure out where I could help them or even with my Twitter feed, um, amplify their presence on social media or the asks that they are making um, and really, you know, putting some trust in them. So again, I feel like not everybody is ready to say, yeah, let's go out and campaign tomorrow. I think we mm. need to do some grieving. We need to do some reflecting. Mm. For me, as someone who's a longtime um, sexual violence um, survivor and advocate, I think about the people that I counsel. I think of my current clients that we said enough, um, many of whom are reliving past traumas just, just in seeing all of this happen. And if in a state like California that is pro-choice and that is very um, inclusive of um, of people's choices. And we still have a lot of trauma and pain around, you know, the circumstances of, a, of an unwanted pregnancy itself, the circumstances under a, a suspected pregnancy. That trauma is enough to carry in a state where termination would be legal. 
So you can just imagine how it is expanded in um, states where it is not. And so even though I think that you should be able to have a, a constitutional right to a lawful medical procedure for any reason, mm-hmm. I also acknowledge that that, that that reason, that rationale is that much more painful if you're looking at a case of, of sexual violence or if you're looking at a case where you've um, you you found that your 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 baby is not viable, and sadly, right now, what we're seeing on Twitter is a lot of people are telling those stories. I say sadly, it's sad for them. Yeah. Hopefully, it's healing for them as well to to do some of that sharing. So let, we don't have to do politics right away. We have to do some of it because mm-hmm. we have to have a vote in the Senate to codify it. We have to put these people on record, and we have to yeah, you know, some of us have to do the job of doing that. But we can also give each other space to grieve and absorb and explain and teach it to our kids and figure out. Um, you know, what our, what our plans are in our own circumstances. And unfortunately, it may depend on what state you live in or what territory you live in um, as you kind of put together your uh, survival kit the way we do in San Francisco for earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Well, you shared so much great stuff. You know, uh, we were going to ask you about some actions that we can take right now. Um, and I think you laid that out. And, and certainly... Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the mental health crisis that we have in general in this in this country right now, um, and um, I think it's very important uh, when there's so much dialogue. And I'm glad people are telling their stories. You know, uh, and I hope that's helpful to them. It's helpful to other people who need to hear those stories. But like you said, it comes with a lot of trauma, and we need to give people space for that. Um, so you gave us some good marching orders, and you also gave us permission to take a step back where we need it right now. Um, why don't we ask you the last question that we ask all of our guests, and that's what gives you the most hope right now? What gives me the most hope is that particularly young people are so furious. Yes, they're mad because they, you know, they feel betrayed, and and yes, they're in some ways they, you know, they feel betrayed by us, but they're also um, confident that they can take a crack at this, mm-hmm. right? Let us get up and try to do this. I mean, I get this from my child since she was, you know, seven years old when it came to climate. Um, actually, when they were five, uh, her her kindergarten class wrote to uh, their member of Congress about pollution in the ocean. Oh, who was that? Um, who but, was their member um, of Congress? <laughs> <laughs> Nancy Pelosi. What are you going to do about it? Bay <laughs> and in the ocean. But I mean, you know, they are really like, you know, they're taking charge of climate. They're taking charge now of, uh, you know, they're taking charge of period poverty and ending it within their schools and just breaking those stigmas, um, classroom by classroom or school by school. Now they're going to deal with, you know, what's happening at the wellness center. Do we have a wellness center? What are they, what information are they giving us? What are we able to do? You know, I think, I think that the, the downside of people being resist, resilient is that we're just sort of implying that this will happen again, mm. right? But the upside is that we can train ourselves to be better. Uh, we can train ourselves to be um, more compassionate and frankly, to, to take um, less complacency, this generation of our kids does not have the luxury of being complacent. Mm. COVID meant that our country doesn't have the luxury of complacency anymore. So the one hope that I have are these communities that we have built. And I do believe we are a pro-choice majority. We're a pro-choice country. We're just, uh, you know, we're just not all living in the states where we need to be living for that to be true. You know, it's it's like the Electoral College all over again. Mm. But I also think once we get through our ritual, you know, kind of um, uh, airing of grievances, 
we will be able to come together and win. I do, you know, we've, we've done it before. We did it in 2018. We did it in 2020. We can do it in 2022. We have mm-hmm. to believe in ourselves. And we also have to, I think, um, hold out a special little spark of, um, of hope and grace for Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, Justice mm-hmm. Breyer, yes. and Justice Designate Jackson, because they are the ones really in the belly of the beast, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they're the ones that that are going to be making these arguments on very, very, very technical grounds. And so what gives me hope is the possibility that we can give them hope. And just remember that when Lily Ledbetter found out that she was being screwed over and paid far, far less um, as a manager uh, than her male cohorts in, in the Goodyear plant in Alabama, and she sued and tried to get her money back, and she failed, went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and she lost. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote that dissent, and that dissent, when that um, Democrats won the Congress in 2006, became George Miller's authored Lily Ledbetter Law, which happened to be the first law that Barack Obama signed as president in 2009. So the pendulum swings. And just like right now, this Alito decision is based off the Rehnquist dissent of Roe versus Wade Mm. with some modern federalist society uh, Mm -hmm. jargon thrown in. You know, we both sides know that there's a pendulum. And we have to think that not only is the pendulum going to swing left, but it's also going to swing forward into the future. And that's what brings me hope. Wow. Um, Christine Pelosi, I feel smarter having um, (laughs) talked to you. I feel hopeful. I feel like... um, more magnanimous hmm. towards people. So, thank so, you for that. so Mariah, stay off Twitter for the rest of the <laughs> night because uh, you know you want to keep that feeling going. <laughs> um, no, just no. breathe. Do your yoga breaths during while you while you read your tweets. You're fine. I got all sorts of people coming after me. I don't care. You know what? <laughs> I'm not the problem. They're not the problem. Donald Trump was the problem, and we're gonna figure out a way to, you know, make sure he doesn't come back. So you know, it, in a way, it. Like I said, don't, don't, don't be afraid to, we get to have all of our emotions, right? Mm. The state is telling us that they get to make our choices. We don't have to tell each other that too. We don't have to replicate their autocracy with the way that we, we treat each other or the way that we um, limit ourselves. Oh my God. So important. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so excited for people to hear this. Um, I know this has been a a, a busy day for you, but we really appreciate you taking a a few minutes to, to chat with us. Thank you so much for what you do. All right, Mariah, we're back. What in a, uh, a dark, difficult day is your reason for hope? Steve, I door knocked this weekend for the first time in a couple of years, and I was a little rusty at it. It was hard, but my neighbors were so ready to vote. They were so receptive. It was so awesome. So my neighbors um, who are eager to, to talk about Um, a couple of primary and runoff elections that we have in our county um, and, you know, and and what's going to be on the ballot and asking for help figuring out how to vote. They are my reasons for hope this week. I was nervous, but I did it. Yeah. And I'm so glad. Hit, hit, hit. 
<laughs> I think I've been, it's been a minute since I've door knocked because of the pandemic and all that. And I'd be, I'm always nervous going and having those first couple of door knocks, those first couple of conversations, but then it gets really fun. And like you said, really hopeful and rewarding. That's awesome. Thank you for doing that. Hint, oh, hint, hint. You. Everyone <laughs> be like Mariah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, oh, please don't. You're, you all aren't ready. Um, <laughs> Steve, Steve, what's your reason for hope? My reason for hope is uh, has to do with elections, has to do with the midterms. There was a new poll that came out. It was a post-ABC poll. And uh, there's a lot of time before the midterms, but the uh, Republicans in a generic poll have had the advantage by 10 points. That mm. means would you know, just the generic question, something along the lines of, would you vote for a Republican or a Democrat in the midterms? And Republicans have had a 10-point advantage in that poll, which has really been disheartening. Mm. That has now changed, and Democrats have a one-point advantage there, which means Whoa. that the public opinion has slid so much down for Republicans and up for Democrats that we now have a one-point advantage in that poll. That is incredibly hopeful. It shows that um, that opinions can change. They can swing. We have a lot of – not a lot of time, but we have a good amount of time before the midterms. And um, again, this is not a done deal. We are in unprecedented times and we need to get out there and talk to voters and let them know how important the midterms are. Also, I want people to talk about this poll too because the uh, the tendency, I think, for a lot of Democratic strategists is to go with gloom and doom as a way to try mm. to recruit volunteers. But as okay. we know from our friends like Anach and Corisario who have been here talking about what actually moves people into action – uh, the invitation to join the Titanic is not motivating. <laughs> People want to be on the winning team. They want right. to join the winning team. So let's talk about this poll. Let's let people know that uh, the tide is on our side and we need them to jump in to make sure that we win. I love it. Thanks for bringing us a whole lot of hope. And you're, I never thought of it, uh, of it that way. The, like we say, oh, the ship is sinking, everybody hurry up and start bailing water. <laughs> and like, yes, that's going to motivate some people for a, you know, a certain amount of time. Um, but yeah, I want to go to a party. I want to have fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> party in November, everybody. You're all invited. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for that, Steve. And thank you all listening for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Please send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at Mariah underscore Craven. And don't forget, for Steve's birthday month, we are doubling our subscribers. So, hey, make sure you're subscribed yourself. I'm sure you are. Yeah. Um, rate and review us so other people will see how awesome this is. And then share us with your friends and help us build this community of informed and active volunteers. Why? Because this is how we win. Happy birthday to me. We appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday. See you then.